أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم أولم يروا أن الله يبسط الرزق لمن يشاء ويقدر إن في ذلك لآيات لقوم يؤمنون سورة الروم سورة نمبر 30 verse number 37 This is where we left off We did up to 36 yesterday Well this one tells here saying in Quran al-Karim that do they not see that Allah increases the risk for whomsoever He wills and Allah can restrict and restrain the risk for whomsoever He wills indeed in that there are signs for the people who believe up to now you have had signs for Ya'qilun you have had signs for Ya'lamun here is a sign for Yu'minun it means that the people of belief, people of Iman should also view this as a sign of the existence of Allah that at times He sends Abundance in risk and sometimes he restricts those risk because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is al And as we've mentioned to you before, as far as Allah Ta'ala says in Quran, that he deliberately limits the amount of risk he sends on his ibadi mu'mineen because if they were to get too much risk, they would have created baghawa fil ard, they would have done baghawa, they would have rebelled against Allah Ta'ala's commandments. So it means that actually when a person gets well, the chance that they are boastful, the chance that they are arrogant, the chance that they are ungrateful increases rapidly. And this is what we did yesterday in the story of Qarun. Fatih al-Qurma haqqahu. Therefore you should give, the qurma means your relative. You should give the relative the right that they have, your kinfolk their rightful due. Well, miskina and those who are poor. Wabnis sabil literally means and the son or child of the path. It means the traveler and the wayfarer. And that is the better and best way for those who seek the pleasure of Allah And indeed such people who seek the pleasure of Allah And do such actions and are willing to part with their wealth in this world For the sake of Allah's pleasure They will be the ones who are successful and will thrive Muflahoon means in one sense it can mean in this world that they will thrive in this world in the sense Allah Ta'ala put barakah in the risk Muflahoon can also mean they will be successful in the akhirah that because they seek the pleasure of Allah Ta'ala's seek Allah Ta'ala's pleasure in this world they will find him to be pleased with them when they show up to him on the day of judgment the ulama have said that here this is not actually referring to zakah because this is a Makki Surah, and so this was revealed before the obligation, the Fardiyah of Zakat was uh, ordained. So this is showing that even in terms of Nafal Sadaqah, in terms of volunteer charity, a person, if there's anyone in their own family who needs that charity or needs that assistance, they should give first to their family, and then after that, then they should give to the poor and those who are travelers, if a traveler needs such assistance. وَمَا أَتُوتُمْ مِنْ رِبَا لِيَرْبُوَ فِي أَمْوَالِ النَّاسِ فَلَا يَرْبُوا إِنَّ اللَّهِ That whatever riba, whatever riba you invest in or whatever riba you engage in to increase people's wealth, it will not increase their wealth in the eyes in the regard of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Riba is something we did for you detailed last year at the end of Surah Baqarah. Suffice it to say that riba takes place whenever there's a money for money transaction in which there is a fadl or a gain on one side. So you take a loan from Citibank, whether that is a car loan, that is a house mortgage, that is an educational loan, whether that is a loan to help the poor, whether that is a loan to help a widow, you take a loan 
and you have to give something additional back that is called interest that is absolutely without any doubt whatsoever haram in Islam it is as undoubtedly haram as to eat pork is haram it is equally and as undoubtedly haram as to consume or drink liquor sharab is haram so whether a person takes that interest whether they give that interest whether they record that interest or whether they witness to any of the above actions each any such person will get a sin and a displeasure from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Here Allah ta'ala in this ayah is making it a point that it doesn't increase in Allah ta'ala's eyes. Meaning you will get kathrat but you won't get barakat. It will increase. Apparently you will be loan, money lending and you will be making money. Or you will be investing in national, what is it called? National saving certificates or national saving bonds. And yes, bazaar you are making money. Bazaar was a good idea for you to do that. But now you're making 10 to 20%, right? On a government that defaults on international loans and keeps devaluing its currency to give you that 10, 20%. There's another economic sin that you're involved in when you take bonds from a government like this one. But here, that's not what's being mentioned in this ayah. So the riba that you get, Allah Ta'ala is saying, it doesn't increase as far as Allah Ta'ala is concerned. Right? Now, why would we want to do any increase which Allah Ta'ala does not view as an increase? وَمَا أَتَيْتُمْ مِنْ زَكَاتٍ and whatever you uh, give in zakat, yeah, the literal meaning of the word riba is that which increases and that which grows. Whatever you give in zakat, here Allah SWT is saying in verse 39, and you're doing that to seek the pleasure of Allah SWT. Mudifun, then such people will truly mudaf means they will double and multiply their rewards in the akhirah. So here again, zakat is used in its lughimana. It's not referring to the pillar of Islam here, but zakat generally can also be used to refer to charity. So what Allah Subhanahu is saying is that outwardly, when you give zakat, your money goes down. If you have a hundred thousand rupees in your account, you give. 2,500 rupees of that in zakat, bazahir, your money went down. Allah Ta'ala says, actually, in Allah's eyes, it went up. When you engage in interest, outwardly, your money goes up. Allah Ta'ala says, no, it doesn't go up. So it means that there's another system, which is the way Allah's fault of use our money. And that person who decides what they take or what they give for the sake of Allah's fault, Allah, for seeking his pleasure, then here Allah Ta'ala is saying, literally, it means double, but it can also mean multiply even more than double for that person and again it can mean in this life when you give charity Allah Ta'ala may give you even more in this life and it can also mean in the Akhirah that Allah Ta'ala will multiply a person's reward verse number 40 Allah Ta'ala khalaqakum thumma razakakum thumma yumitakum thumma yuhiyakum that Allah Ta'ala is the being who created you originally then he sustained you sent nourishment upon you then he will cause you to die, and then he will revive you. Yani on the day of judgment, he will resurrect you. Halmin shurakaikum, are there any one of your idols that you ascribe and associate to Allah subhanahu That any one of them can do any one of these actions, been chained from any one of these things. Subhanahu exalted and pure is Allah subhanahu ta'ala. amma yushrikun, he is far above all of the things that they attribute to him. Verse number 41. That indeed corruption has manifested itself and has appeared on land and on sea Due to what human beings do themselves Due to the deeds and actions of what people earn of their own doing 
So what does this mean? That means that if a person follows the of Islam, they will have aman and itminan, peace, tranquility, sanctity, security on earth. And whatever fasad and fitna there is, that is due to our own deeds. And so Allah subhanahu is saying that the consequences, people will have to face the consequences of what they have earned by their own actions and they will be made to taste some of what they have done. Why? Literally so that they may return, they may turn back from those bad actions. So the notion as Allah subhanahu is saying is when you sin and then you are punished with the consequences and effect of that sin, even that Allah is doing in part of His mercy, that when He punishes you for that sin and you face the consequences, you will realize the dastardly effect of sinning, and then you will return back, you will return away from sinning, as opposed to continuing to sin despite any and all of its consequences. So this is something that Allah SWT has granted each and every human being in ability. Right? Whether they want to do good deeds or they want to do bad deeds. In Surah Fatir, Surah 35, verse 45, Allah subhanahu wa actually does, made it clear that He does not send the consequences in this world for every sin. In that ayah, Allah Ta'ala said that if Allah Ta'ala were to take human beings to task for everything that they do, then Allah Ta'ala would not leave a single creature on the face of this earth. It means we would be annihilated. And we can think like if Allah Ta'ala was to punish our eyes, the second we misdirected our gaze, we would all be blind. If Allah Ta'ala was to punish our tongues, the second we engage in backbiting, slander, lying, we would all be mute. So actually Allah Subhanahu Ta'ala does not punish it for each and everything. But sometimes out of His mercy He will send the punishment in this world to make a person return to Him. And that is what is being mentioned in this particular ayah. So return to Surah Rum, Surah 30 verse 42. So you should travel in the lands and travel the earth so that you may see what was the outcome and how those before you ended up. And the vast majority of pre-Islamic people, particularly in Arabia and the places they used to travel, the vast majority of them were idolaters and polytheists. And you should make your gaze and your set your aim steadfast for for that true and upright deen. That true and upright deen. And you should make sure that you do that. And you should make sure that you set your aim for deen before such a day comes to you from Allah SWT. A day which cannot be averted and on a day on which people will be separated and divided. So what does this mean? This means that we have to adopt deen steadfastly in this world before Allah subhanahu wa sends the day of judgment. And on that, the first meaning of separated is that those who are good will be separated from those who are wrong. It also means you will be separated from all of your false beliefs and ideologies and made to stand in front of Allah subhanahu wa It also means you will be separated from all of your excuses and justifications and rationalizations. And you will stand stripped of all of that in front of Allah subhanahu wa So the only thing that you won't be separated from on that day is whatever deen you are on. 
So if a person has a deen al-qayyim with them on that day, then they won't be separated from that. But any and everything else that they incline to or they relied upon, they will be separated from that on that day. Man kafara fa'alayhi kufruhu. Verse 44, and that person, whoever was a disbeliever, well then his disbelief will come against him, will be to his detriment and to his harm on that day. وَمَنْ عَمِلَ صَالِحًا فَلِأَنفُسِهِمْ يَمْهُدُونَ And whomsoever committed a good deed and acted with righteousness and piety, then they will prepare, literally means they will prepare the ground or they prepare the bed for themselves, meaning that they, you know, they, as they say in English, you sleep in the bed that you will make. So it's a good indication that they will have settled their akhirah for them. لِيَجْزِيَ الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَعَمِلُوا الصَّالِحَاتِ مِنْ فَضْلِهِ إِنَّهُ لَا يُحِبُّ الْكَافِرِينَ So that Allah SWT may reward those who had iman and those who did righteous acts, acts of worship, acts of virtue. مَنْ فَضْلِهِ That he may reward them from his fuzzle, his karam, from his grace and generosity. Indeed, Allah SWT can never love and does never love and will not love the kafirin. So what does it mean? The fuzzle of Allah SWT in Jannah is given to those who are his mahboob. Even those who are, will get Jannah, they will get it because Allah Ta'ala loves them. And Allah Subhanahu Ta'ala can never love the unbelievers. This is the major point. This is one thing that kufr makes a person mahroom of. It makes a mahroom of being the mahboob of Allah Subhanahu Ta'ala. And because they're not his mahboob, then he bestows his fadl and his generosity and grace amongst those who are his beloveds. وَمَنْ آيَاتِهِ And from the signs of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala أَنْ يُرْسِلَ الْرِيَاحُ مُبَشِّرَاتٍ That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sends the winds This is similar, we've done these passages like this previously Allah ta'ala sends winds to you as heralds And as bearers of glad tidings So that people may taste from the divine mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala And from Allah ta'ala signs that He allows ships to sail From His command and direction His command due to the direction in which He causes the winds to blow and from amongst Allah Ta'ala's signs, I tell them in Fadlihi that you may seek from Allah Ta'ala's divine bounty in His puzzle, Allahum Tashkurun, Allahum Tashkurun, and so that you may become thankful and grateful to Him. Lakal Arsalna minkum lakal Rasulun illa Qomihim, and indeed we undoubtedly sent uh, many messengers to all of their peoples and communities before you, Nabi Akrim Sallam, and they brought Fajauhum bin Bayinat, and they brought to them clear and manifest proofs. Then Fantakamna minal Ladina Ajramu. That Allah Ta'ala says we wrought vengeance or we took vengeance on those who had sinned and who were wrongdoers. Wakana Hakkan Alaina Nasrul Mu'mineen and Allah Ta'ala says at the same time it is ever and always has been and will be our duty to help Nasr to send our Nusrat and our help to the believers. So what does this mean? That there are two groups, Ajramu who disbelieve and Mu'mineen those who believe. Those who disbelieve will face the punishment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They will be face the vengeance and wrath of Allah ta'ala on the day of judgment. And the believers always have the promise of Allah ta'ala's help. So this is why sometimes as well in dua, a person can make use of this surah room, surah 30 verse 47, last part. وَكَانَ حَقًّا عَلَيْنَا نَصْرُ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ عَلَيْنَا means on Allah ta'ala's the royal way. So it means that when you make dua for the nusrat of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, especially if you've renewed your iman, you're being true to your iman, your amal are true to your iman, then you can hope and expect that Allah ta'ala's madad and nusrat will surely and certainly come to us. And if we are not getting the help from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, if we feel that Allah ta'ala's special help and mercy is not falling upon us as an individual, family, society, nation, ummah, it's because we're not mu'mini. 
So if a person wants to know why doesn't Allah Ta'ala's help come on this country, you have to first see, is this country a country of mu'mineen? In the sense that mu'mineen is used in Qur'an, in all of their sifat and mu'minana, in all of their a'mal and mu'minana, by and large, the vast majority, if ideally totality of this country have that. And if they had that, they would get the nusrat of Allah Ta'ala. And actually, in fact, it's amazing how much nusrat Allah Ta'ala does send, despite us not being such good or perfect mu'mineen. Allah Allah yursil al-riyaha. And again, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is that being, verse 48, who sends down the winds, who raises and carries the clouds, and spreading the clouds across the sky as He wills. And then He renders those clouds into fragments and pieces, and then you see rain emerging from therein. And then when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sends that rain to which, who, whichever of His servants and His ibad that He wills, then they get happy. They're happy. They rejoice, right? Uh, they will become exuberant. They will become happy and they will rejoice. Verse, what does this mean? That whenever Allah SWT sends His bounty, literally His reign or symbolically any of His bounties and blessings, the people will become happy. However, even though right before Allah sent it down upon them, they had been despondent and sad before they were being showered with that rain. So it means that it's showing Allah subhanahu wa saying that they change their emotions very quickly. And again, rain can be taken metaphorically as any help from Allah subhanahu So before Allah's help comes, they were despondent of it, they despaired of it. Whereas what they should have been, is should have been hopeful of it. But nonetheless, sometimes Allah of His mercy helps the person even though they have despaired of his help. And again, that is going to be if they are strong in their iman. So what you should do, you should look and ponder and reflect and gaze and be aware of the athar, of the signs or the traces or the indications and the pathways of the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right, this is a general thing, and here Allah is going to give some practical things, but generally we should be seeking. What does Allah mean? That if you were to be aware of the signs of His mercy, then you would never despair of His mercy. If you were tuned into His infinite mercy, you would never have become despondent. And one example of the signs of His mercy, the way He revives earth after it has fallen dead. Right, and again, some people take this symbolically to mean the earth of our own hearts. Where Allah Ta'ala revives our hearts after they became dead. Our hearts were dead all year round and Allah Ta'ala sent the rainstorm of Ramadan on our heart and all of a sudden He revived our heart. Before we know it, we're praying Salah, we're praying Taraweeh, we're fasting all day, we're reading Quran, we're listening to Quran, we're making dua to Allah Ta'ala. That same heart that wasn't able to make dua to Him for months or years is all of a sudden turning to Him in sincere dua at the time of Suhoor and Iftar. So Allah Ta'ala has the ability in every single sense to bring about a revival. So why not that we should beg that Allah subhanahu who can do ihya al-ard, who can revive a barren and dead land, that He do ihya al-qalb, that He can revive in our barren and dead heart by bringing us back into the deen. So this is the real mercy of Allah subhanahu that Allah is telling to the sinner that no matter how dry and how barren you become because of your sins, Allah subhanahu can revive your iman, can revive your deen. And then next time Allah subhanahu also revives... Uh, the dead, 
Similarly, he revives the dead means he will resurrect. And Allah Ta'ala has power over everything to revive any such anything and any phenomenon and any feeling once it has become dead. So then again, that when Allah Ta'ala says, but if we send a wind, which is like a destructive wind, then they will see it. Literally, it means that they will see it become, they will see their fields uh, become yellow, their fields, their keti, their crops, they will see it become yellowing. And then what will they do? They will become ungrateful or they will become denying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala afterwards. So what does that mean? That they forget the blessings of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they only remember them in hard times. On that occasion they will forget all the bounties that Allah ta'ala sent upon them, they only remember Allah ta'ala in hard times. That indeed you cannot make the dead here, nor can you make the deaf here. The call when when they have turned their backs on you and when they turn away you cannot make them hear. This we explained a few days ago. This is referring to the people who are unbelievers that they go far are like dead and deaf because they turn their hearts away and they are close-minded towards the message of deen. So Allah SWT is consoling the Prophet It's not your failure. No matter what you could do, you would not be able to reach them. You cannot reach them anymore that you can reach the deaf or the dead. And verse 53, again, similar metaphor we did a few days ago, that you cannot guide the blind out of their wandering astray. What is it that you can do? In tusmi'u illa may yu'minu bi'ayatina that yes, you can, you can, and you can on, indeed only and only you can, but you can certainly can. That the only ones you can get to hear are those who believe. My yupin be ayatina, those who believe in the verses of our revelation, and more broadly, who believe in our signs. For whom Muslimun, and they have acquiesced and submitted and subjugated themselves to the teachings of those verses. Right? This can also be an understanding for us. That who is it that who is going to understand the sunnah of Nabi Akram sallam? Who to whom are the words of his sunnah and sirah going to be able to penetrate their hearts? Those who have iman in Quran al-Karim. This is why to suggest that Quran is a separate. No, those who have iman in Quran in the ayat of Quran, they will then have iman in and follow the teachings and sunnah of Nabi Akram sallam, and they will submit to both of these things. Allah SWT is that being who has created you out of weakness and in a state of weakness. And then what does Allah SWT do? Then Allah SWT sends a strength upon you after that weakness. So what does that mean? That you were originally born weak as a newborn baby. You're unable to walk on your own, unable to eat for yourself, unable to talk, unable to communicate. But then gradually as you grow into childhood and youth, then Allah Taala bestows a person with a level of strength. But then, But then again, after granting that strength, Allah Ta'ala puts frailty and old age after strength. So this is the phenomenon of human aging, right? That after they reach that peak, and I explained to you the day the different ages and stages in the deen of Islam, becomes an old person, and the old person becomes weak and frail and needy again. And Allah subhanahu wa creates whatsoever and howsoever He wills. And Allah is all-knowing and all-powerful. So then remember that day and on the day of the end of time, meaning the day of judgment, what will happen? That those who are sinners, they will swear. They will take a qasim 
And what will they say? Malabithu Ghaidasa that indeed we never tarried and we were not living in that world except for but an hour. And thus they will be lying or you can say thus they will be deceived or thus they will be deceiving themselves. So, what does this mean? This means that their life, first of all, this is reference, this could be number one in reference to the time they spent in the grave, that we were just in the grave for an hour. What that means is that Allah Subhanahu will resurrect them so perfectly that it's as if they never spent and many people have already been in graves for tens of thousands of years. So the first thing it could be about the grave. Second possibility of the Mufassir is that it means about the time they lived in the world. Not the time they passed in the grave but the time they passed in the world. What do they mean by that? It can't, it, what they mean by that is that their life on earth was of no benefit to them because they've come so empty-handed. That it's as if we just basically have one hour of worth in our entire lifetime of life expectancy of 80 years. There's only really one hour that we can call zindagi, the rest is sharmindagi. That's another meaning that they may be saying. That it's as if we didn't really have, we have no value from them. Either way, they will be taking, uh, they will take the, this, they will say, Qasam on that, But those who were bestowed upon ilm and iman, ilm and iman. Again, it shows you something I've been emphasizing for some time. The importance of ilm and deen, the importance of knowledge. Iman and ilm. Not just iman, that okay, as I were born into a Muslim family. No, they actively got knowledge about their deen. Knowledge of Quran from Mufassirin, of Sunnah and Deed from Muhaddisin. Knowledge of Sharia from the scholars of Islamic law. Knowledge of how to fix their nafs from the Mashaykh of Tazkiyah. They got that ilm and they got that iman. So they will actually say to those people, right, that that no, in fact, they will swear, they will also swear uh, by the book of Allah SWT that indeed you have been living, you actually have been living and staying until the day of resurrection. So again, maybe this means that then you were in your grave all this time, all the way up to the day of resurrection. And now, and this now is that day of resurrection. However, you are people who never ever chose to learn and know about that and know about it and know how to prepare for it and therefore you stand on this day in a state that you were in a state of stupor and you were amazed. This is what I told you earlier that this is be that day that those who committed sin, none of their excuses will benefit them. I'm amazed. The exact word Allah Ta'ala says in Quran. What is the word? La ma'ziratum. And what is the word people say in English when they say Mazrat Kasat? Or they say Mira Uzrhe. Uzr. That's what this word is coming from. And Allah Ta'ala is saying in Quran that no Uzr will avail you on that day if you sin. And today people say, Koi baat aapko Uzr hai, ye karlo, koi nahi Uzr hai, aap ye karlo, koi nahi Uzr hai, aap ye karlo. So I've told you, when you read Quran, you will see that the non-practicing elites of this country, the way they try to justify their non-practice, Allah has already answered that, crystal clear. It will not be of any avail to them whatsoever, these so-called majburiyas and others. It's in front of you to read, and then decide whether you want to continue with that philosophy of life, that no, uzr hai, I am justified, I am excused, koine Allah ta'ala nepuchinge, Allah ta'ala won't ask. Allah ta'ala is making it clear, Allah Ta'ala has told us in Qur'an what he's going to ask and what he's not going to accept. 
that there's no human being on earth who can change that reality. Right? Wallahum yustatabun and nor uh, will they be afforded, nor will they be given, nor will their plea be admitted to Allah Ta'ala in any way. He will not even entertain their pleas. Alright? So this is a very strong and here this ayah is not just for dis- for disbelievers because the word is what Allah Dinazalamu. It's anybody who did wrong. Maybe it's an unbeliever who did the wrong of kufr. Maybe it's Muslim who did a wrong of interest. And they based their uzr that no, I needed money or, or my, she was a widow, she needed national defense saving certificates. Whatever uzr, Allah Ta'ala says no. They will not benefit them. Indeed, their plea will not be admitted. They will not even be afforded the opportunity to present that uzr. Uzr pesh karna ka nobat pini Allah Ta'ala ko karna denge. It's in Quran, right? Allah Ta'ala laid down the law. 58, verse 58, Allah says, That indeed we have for all of humanity and all people in this Quran of Kareem, we have expounded upon every single thing. We have drawn every comparison, made every likeness, coined every similitude. But, That even if you, Nabi Akhazim, bring them a sign, those who disbelieve, they will still say in antum illa muktilun that you are people who are on battle. Muktilun can mean you are people who are on battle or you are fabricating, you are faking, you have fabricated this revelation, right? And it means now what Kadalaka Yatba Allahu ala Right? Very important. Who is this being said to? Not the unbelievers. Alladina La Ya'lamun Those who don't have ilm Those who don't go and get their knowledge of deen So they can understand it with certainty Sometimes when they don't get knowledge It will lead them to disbelieving about something in deen And then when you try to explain it to them They say no, right? So Allah Ta'ala is saying is This is how a seal gets set on their hearts What does it mean? Does it mean Allah Ta'ala sets a seal on their hearts for them It means their continual Rejection of the verses and signs of Allah SWT and their stubbornness and not trying to seek the proper knowledge behind how to understand that eventually means an isil is set on their hearts. Right? And finally, then Allah SWT ends this surah, Surah al verse 60. That fasbir, O Nabi Akrimzam, you should have sabr. You should be patient, right? In all the harassment that the unbelievers are giving you, the mushrikeen are giving you, you should exercise patience. Why? Because indeed Allah Ta'ala's promise is certainly true. So for the believers also, we must remain steadfast on the haqq. We must turn our attention towards that al-deen al-qayyim. And if we face any opposition, hostility, or taunts, or cynicism, or derision, or mockery, we should remain patient, because the promise of Allah Ta'ala is true. What is that promise? It means the Day of Judgment will happen. What is that promise? That Allah Ta'ala will give Jannah to those who are on the right path. What is that promise? That Allah Ta'ala will not accept our excuses and pleas on the Day of Judgment. All of this is Allah Ta'ala's promise. So then in that last sense, Fasbir means remain steadfast and persevere on what is right. Don't let yourself slip into what is wrong because Allah Ta'ala has promised that He will punish the wrong. That is also true. And the last thing that Allah Ta'ala says, and don't let the la yuqinun, it means that those who are uncertain, 
those who don't have yakin, those who don't, and it can be disbelievers, it can be fellow believers who aren't certain about deen, don't let them, right? Do istifaf means don't let them weaken you, don't let them lighten you, don't let them make you reckless. It means don't let them lessen your resolve. Don't let those who have less resolve, don't let them lessen your resolve. You should have sabr, remain steadfast and persevere on this path to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Thus ends Surah 30, Surah Rum. Next verse, Surah 31, Surah Al-Nukman. We've explained many times. These are the ayat, these are indeed the verses of revelation of a book, Al-Hakim. Al-Hakim means the book that is completely wise. Al-Hakim means also the book that contains the ultimate judgment and decree. All hukam will be found in this book, the final arbiter, the master decreer is this book, Qur'an al-Karim. And what is this book, Qur'an? Hudaw wa rahmatan lil-muhsineen. That is a book of hidayah and a book of rahmah, a book of mercy of Allah SWT. Who? For lil-muhsineen. Muhsineen, again we did this just a few days ago in Qur'an. They're the people of ahsan, the people of virtue, nobility, excellence, right? And they have ahsan in their haya, they have ahsan in their taqwa, they have ahsan in their iman, they have ahsan in their salah, they have ahsan in the adab and akhlaq. They are people of the highest level of virtue and beauty and nobility in their deen. So here Allah Ta'ala then in the next few ayahs is going to describe who are the people of ahsan. So yes, the Qur'an al-Karim is hudan lil-nas, right? But here it's a hudan wa rahmatan lil-muhsineen that it is a guidance but also a mercy for the people who have ihsan. So who are they? Verse number four, their first sign number one. salata. They are the ones who firmly and regularly establish salat. What number two? zakata, And they regularly offer their zakat. وَهُمْ بِالْآخِرَةِهُمْ يُقِنُونَ And they have absolute yaqeen about the akhirah. And what does that mean? They're certain of the akhirah, both in terms of their qalb and their heart and their conviction, but also in terms of the way they live their life. Every second of their life is lived with the feeling, and they radiate that feeling, that they're certainly going to meet Allah Ta'ala on the Day of Judgment. Not that they're not sure, or maybe some of these things won't happen, or Allah Ta'ala's mercy will waive His punishment. No. They are certain about the Akhirah and everything about that Akhirah that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has described in our deen, in Quran, and the Sunnah. So this was number one, two, three. Three of their signs. Regular in Salah, regular in Zakah, and certain about Akhirah. And such people, they are actually hidayah from the Rabb. This is Allah Ta'ala's blessing that He's given them guidance to do these things. And indeed, these will be ones who will truly thrive and be successful. And there are some yet others, some people from humanity. What does this mean? Lahwal hadith means that they purchase futile tales and vain talk. Why? لِيُذِلَّ أَنْ سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ بِغَيْرِ إِلْمِ So that they may deviate from the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, lead astray from the way that leads to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, بِغَيْرِ ilm without ilm, without having knowledge. Again, you have this importance of ilm. 
that they what they take that path, they take Sabirullah, they take the path that leads to Allah Subhanahu as a joke. They make a mockery of it. So what does Allah say? That such people will have a degrading punishment. A degrading and humiliating punishment is in store for them. Let me just finish this passage and then we'll talk about who they are. What is another sign of them? So first some sign of Muhsinin, now some sign of these other people. So first thing that they purchase vain and futile discourse. Second, they make a mockery of the path of Allah SWT and they do all of this without knowledge. Third sign of them, وَإِذَا تُطْلَ عَلَيْهِ آيَاتُنَا مُسْتَقْبِلًا That if the verses of Allah Ta'ala's Qur'an al-Karim are recited to them, they turn away arrogantly, arrogantly. لَمْ يَسْمَحَ As if they have as if they had not listened to it, as if they haven't even heard it. Right? As if they have a deafness in their ears, or they have some barrier in their ears that prevents them to listen. So what does the Prophet say? Literally it means convey glad tidings, but it's not a bushra, it's not a good news. Means convey to them the tidings by Allah bin Alim that they will have a painful punishment for them. Okay. So these are several characteristics of people. So first thing we had here was Lahul Hadith. Lahul Hadith. What does that mean now? This is something we did before. Love. We explained this before about in Surah Mu'minun, Muhammad Allah wa Mu'ridun, that they stay away from love. These are the people who are the other and they purchase it, they want it. Futile play and sport. So this is described Shaykh Hassan Basri said that anything that distracts a person from the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is lahul hadith. And literally amazing yesterday is something that nobody could have predicted fourteen years ago. They will purchase it. What does it mean? They will spend billions and billions of dollars purchasing CDs and downloading iTunes. They will spend billions and billions of dollars on novels and magazines. They will spend billions and billions of dollars on satellite dish and cable. They will spend billions and billions of dollars watching movies and going to the cinema. Yesterday. In fact, if all of the money that people spent in the world on just movies, if 10% of that was used, you could eradicate world poverty. Yes? These $100 million box office hits that keep coming out one after the other. Lahul Hadith could also mean that they will spend billions and billions of dollars watching men run around the field trying to put a ball into a net. And one is playing sport for exercise. One is playing sport out there for fun. One is the industry. You see, yesterday, when you use the word purchase, it's talking about the entertainment industry, the sport industry. And if they do that, the yudillah and sabilillah to distract people from the path of Allah Taala to make people forget the remembrance of Allah Taala to distract people from the love for Allah Taala because it's simple you know when people say what they really what they should unpack what they're saying is all the sports I watch all the movies I watch all the surfing I do out of all of that all the women's fashion magazines that I subscribe to and look at and dream of what clothes I might be able to wear all of that has made me so busy that I don't have time to understand Qur'an. All of that is the reason that for the first time in my life I'm understanding Qur'an and Ramadan. Although not for the first Multiple times in my life I've seen movies and attended sports matches and surfed the net. So when you're not too busy, 
you're too busy doing other things. So that means that Lahul Hadith has distracted you from Sabilullah, has taken you off from the path that was supposed to lead you to Allah SWT. And this is why life was given to us, to make ourselves closer to Him. So all of this is futile. And in fact, there's such a long list. I just touched the tip of the iceberg. There's such a long list of things that we do that are futile. First thing in Lahul Hadith, one thing that is mentioned is music. Yes, music distracts you from Sabilullah. Anything that you hear will affect your emotions and your feelings. So why not listen to that Qur'anul Kareem that Allah Ta'ala has designed to make you feel spiritually noble emotions and feelings because music is designed to make you feel feelings. You know the musicians and act, act, actors and actresses of this world they lead almost fake make-believe lives. And some who are stuck in this it's difficult even when one comes out because for so many years they've been talking like that acting like that behaving like that it takes some effort to remove that. It's a whole world. And you know, some people are so involved, they don't realize. And when we look at people like that, as an outside observer, onlooker, we're amazed. The way they talk, and they hang out with one another, just their whole mannerism, their expression, their demeanor, the way they walk, the way they talk, is such a shame. It's so empty. And, the, and, and you look into their eyes, if you were to look into their eyes, you would see the emptiness of their souls. Allah. You look into the hearts, you see the emptiness of their souls. But it's covered up, it's concealed with this veneer of, you know, talking in a particular way, hanging out in a particular way. And they do this day after day after day, year after year, years pass in their life, and they don't realize. Right? So we have to soften ourselves to the hidayah and the spontaneity to realize the things that we excuse and think that we're just innocent pastimes that are actually spiritually crippling endeavors. They're spiritually crippling us. They may not be harming our physical self, but they're harming our spiritual self. Right? So music is one such thing. Just to give you an example, one hadith, Sayyidina Rasulullah when talking about one of the signs of the end of these alamat qiyamah, right? One category of such signs are things that will be manifest inside the ummah. Things that will crop up amongst the ummah. What will this ummah start doing? And when they start doing it in a widespread way, it will be a sign of the end of time. And remember, Sayyidina Sussam said this to Sahaba. Sahaba could never imagine this. What is it? So they will be. What they will do? Four things. They will engage in zina. Zina will become am. It can mean zina becomes am bil fail. It means the precursor to zina means social acceptance to zina, means internet zina, it has become am, on everybody's computer, on everybody's cell phone, inside everybody's mind. Thoughts of zina in everyone's mind become am. There's Sahaba Ikram, were people like that, they never thought about this either. They didn't thought, think about this, and once their tazkiyah was done, they never thought about this. So Sahaba, just imagine if you were Sahaba Madinu Manara, and the Prophet says this, you are Sahaba, you just gave your life at Uhud, you're willing to give your life at Badr to keep this deen. And then the Prophet tells you there will come a time in our Ummah that people, zina will be am. How can it be? Am! They would say, how can that happen? So many people involved in sin. How few are there who are sinless? Who is that woman who can say they never ever did anything 
that even is something that leads to zina, nor do they ever think or desire such a thing. Who could say that? Who can say that in the Ummah today? Hmm? Second, that they were wearing of silk for men, whether it is the silk tie, or the silk shirvani, or the silk kurta, whether it's raw silk, hard, or if it's soft, that's also become fairly widespread. Third, drinking liquor, right? Drinking liquor. You'd be amazed, you know. And mashallah, some of you are so masum, you probably think this doesn't happen in this country. Some of you are one lobla, you think only the elites drink alcohol. Allah Akbar. I tell you, I think the amount of sin that some of these lower level universities do is much more than the amount of sin that goes on in lungs and defense. Kism kism ke guna hota hai. Kism ke kism. Allah ta'ala na hako mehfuz kiya that you don't know, right? You don't know what happens. But it's become aam. Become aam. You just have to get out of the Bay Airport, just go transit in the Bay Airport and you'll be greeted by so many big stores with big displays, right? Uh, and these are Muslim countries, technically speaking. They're supposed to have viewed themselves as Muslim countries. They become aam. Pakistan is one of the few Muslim countries where alcohol is at least technically illegal. In many Muslim countries, Egypt, Malaysia, it's not even illegal. It's not even illegal, right? Third thing, and the fourth, musical instruments. Music. And normally we use this hadith as one hadith to explain to people. Now, zina, silk, liquor. Three things that are undoubtedly haram. When Nabiya Kareem Sassam in the same sentence says the word music, do you think that means that music is an innocent pastime? Why would it be a sign of the end of time <laughs> if it was an innocent pastime? So music is being coupled with actions such as zina and alcohol by our beloved messenger sallallahu and is being mentioned as something that brings about spiritual decline because the end of time is a time of spiritual decline. So it means that music has that effect. Right? Here there are in total six sahihadith in which Nabiya Kingsam has explicitly mentioned the prohibition of music in our deen. Right? Many things that al hadith. Right? Many, many things. That could be a long, long topic if we ever do Surah Luqman in a more uh, slow way. So this was the first thing. Second thing is that these things, uh, yes, they do just in the absence of knowledge. Right? One maybe they may do so, one meaning of that is they do so ignorantly. They generally don't even know. They don't even know that this is leading them away from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So that's one meaning. Second is that it's a willful ignorance, that they don't have the knowledge of deen. Third is that this itself could be a sign, right, of, the, of, the, of this other category of people, that they don't have ilm. They're not interested in learning about the deen. Then the third sign that Allah SWT mentioned is that they take this path of Allah Ta'ala deen, huzuwa, they make a mockery of it. They make fun of deen. This is something that is very widespread now. Making fun of deen, making fun of people of deen, making fun of gatherings of deen, right? So some woman invites her friend to come, so her friend will say, right? And then they may say some sentence mocking the dars. Right? So all of that falls under huzur. This is what Allah is saying. This is a sign of people who are not healthy. Next sign is that when the Quran is recited to them, somehow you got them in front of you and you were able to recite the Quran to them, what will happen? That they turn their back on it. They turn away from it. Arrogance. What is the arrogant here? 
the arrogance is that I don't need this Quran. I don't need to be told how to live my life. I don't need any book to claim it's guiding me. My nafs is guiding me. It's just fine. I'm living my own. I'm well and good. I'm doing fine. Right? So these are signs of this other group of people. Verse number 8. And these, those who have iman do righteous acts and virtuous deeds. To them will be given blissful gardens. They will need blissful gardens. Khalidina fiha, and they will dwell therein forever. Ma'adallahi haqqa, and this is why I told you this was one of the promises of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that his haqq will be true. Wahul azizul hakim, indeed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is almighty and all wise. Verse number 10. Allah subhanahu wa is that being. He has created the skies and the firmaments without any physical pillar or support. That you can see. And Allah subhanahu has placed mountains. Allah has set and placed unshakable mountains on earth. Lest that earth quake and shake with you all. And Allah has dispersed and spread forth on earth every kind of animal. And Allah showers water, yani rain from the sky thereby growing, propagating every species uh, of plant on earth. So there's just a general ayah where Allah SWT is mentioning his physical creation, the vastness of it, the limitless nature of it, the multiple diversity of his physical creation on this earth. Okay, we have talked once before about these things very briefly, the sky not having pillars, right? Uh, what does that mean? So again, some people who mock Qur'an al say, well, there's no such actual thing as the sky. That it would need pillars. First answer is yes, maybe Allah subhanahu was talking in the language of the vast amount of humanity which think, which views the sky to be a miraculous thing which is hanging over us without any pillars. There's nothing wrong with Allah speaking to people in a language that they understand for the vast history of humanity and mass multitudes today also. I mean, when you have one billion people on this earth living in poverty, you can imagine that scientific literacy is really something of the elite few, right? So this would still be a way of addressing humanity at their common level of understanding. Second meaning is that Allah subhanahu wa fine, I mean, the way we scientifically understand the sky and it is blue, but still, this distance between the atmosphere and the surface of the earth, and that distance being relatively set, Right, despite the rotation of the earth around its axis, despite the rotation of the earth around the orbit of the earth around the sun, this itself, this, these forces of gravity and centrifugal forces, this is something Allah has put in place. So even if you bring science into it, science cannot negate this verse in any way. Providing additional tafsil does not necessitate any negation. Allah has put mountains on earth, such that the earth does not shake. Well, I don't know what a scientist would say that what would happen if there were no mountains on earth, right? How would that affect this concept, the phenomenon of the earth rotating around its axis? And then Allah is spreading all types of animals and growing all types of vegetation that is understood. Hada khalqullah, that this is the creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. All of this is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created, right? And so Allah Ta'ala says, show me, what is it, مَاذَا خَلَقَ الَّذِينَ مِنْ دُونِي What is it, it means, what have the idols created? That's what Allah Ta'ala is saying. 
What is it that anyone else other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created? So there is nothing, these idols that you worship, even you know that they have not created any of the things around you. So indeed these wrongdoers, unjust oppressors are in clear zalala, clear manifest deviation. They are widely astray in their belief in taking idols as gods. Now verse 12, here is the mention of Sayyidina Luqman that indeed we bestowed on Luqman hikmah. So we just translate this and then we'll try to spend a little bit of time commenting because this is a very fascinating surah of Quran al-Kareem which is the advices that Sayyidina Luqman is going to impart to his son. Number one, anishkur lillah that Sayyidina Luqman was inspired this hikmah causes him to be grateful to Allah subhanahu and whomsoever is grateful to Allah subhanahu that indeed actually they are doing shukr to the benefit of their own selves. What does it mean? So when a person is grateful to Allah subhanahu that's the first command that was given not just to Sayyidina Luqman but to everyone. What does it mean that it's to the benefit of your own self? When you do shukr, that's how you do hifaz at the ni'mah. When Allah Ta'ala gives you a bounty or blessing, if you want to retain it, you want to keep it, you want there to be barakah in it, you want to be able to benefit from it, then you have to do shukr for it. So when you do shukr for something, it's to your own benefit, because then you will be able to retain and have barakah in that bounty and blessing that Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala sent. And that for that person who disbelieves and is ungrateful, here the kufr is con- you can contrast it to shukr. So that person was ungrateful to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Well, no problem. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is free from eating every need. He doesn't need your shukr. It's not that he would need, like we many times when we give something to someone, we want their thanks, we want their appreciation, we need to be appreciated, right? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not like that. He's completely independent of that. Hamidun. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is Hamid. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is ultimately most worthy of praise. He is worthy of praise, but without needing it in any way. So our response then, given that our Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is al Hamid, would always to be engaged in shukr. Now comes the... Uh, well, first of all, first question is that who was Luqman Lots of opinions about him. First, was he a Nabi or was he a Wali? That's the first discussion. We did this with you last year. Same thing came with Khizr. Is he a Nabi, is a Prophet? So therefore, alayhi salam. Or is he a Wali of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Somebody who was very close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Too much information on both sides, right? Nothing can definitively tell you this, resolve this issue for you. Right? Sometimes therefore we say Luqman salam because it is permissible to say salam for Ghair Anbiya. It is something that we should say for Anbiya but that we can say for non-Anbiya and it is to be on the safe side. Right? Second, that what was his lineage? So some of the ulama say that he was the nephew of Sayyidina Ayyub salam. Others say that uh, here several different views. How long did he live? Some say that he lived for thousands of years. Some say that he lived an ordinary lifespan. So many views. What did he do? Some say that he was a carpenter. Some say he was a tailor. Some say he was a shepherd. Perhaps if he lived a very long life, perhaps he did many of these things and he fulfilled many of these roles and that may be why 
there was so much uh, information that is mentioned from our own understanding is that he was not a Nabi, uh, but rather he was a Wali of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And uh, in the tradition of Tazkiyan Tasawwuf, he has very much been viewed as that. And so his words of wisdom are viewed. And because for us the important thing is that Allah Ta'ala has mentioned him in Qur'an. So when Allah Ta'ala has put what he said to his son in Qur'an, it means it is for us as mu'mini. It means it is hikmah for us. Whether that hikmah came to him from wahi scriptural revelation, he was a nabi. Whether that hikmah came to him ilham, that he was inspired because he was a wali. Either way, because it's in Qur'an, it is something for us to follow. So let's begin now looking at that way. Libnihi, when Sayyidina Luqman Luqman said to his son, and he was advising his son. So first thing that we learn from this is that it's very important to advise one's children. And this is, we're going to learn general teachings of wisdom, but we're also going to get a glimpse of how Allah Ta'ala in Quran envisions an ideal father-son relationship. Right? How Allah Subhanahu views the ideal father-son relationship. So the first thing is that it is one of wa'ath. That the father is meant to be an advisor and counselor to his son. And this happens especially when the son attains maturity. When the son attains maturity, adulthood, when he's in his late teens or early adulthood. And for the rest of his life, the father should remain an advisor to the son. First advice, Ya Bunaya, O my dear beloved son, La tushrik billah. That number one, you should not commit shirk. You should not associate anything with, ascribe any partners to Allah. In the shirk of the zulman azim, that indeed shirk is a terrible injustice, is a terrible wrong to do, is a grave sin. Zulm in Arabic, we say it was a shayfi ghayri mahalihi to put something where it doesn't belong. So to give anything the status of divinity is shirk. To make anything you do tawakkul at the ultimate level on anything or anyone other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that is also a type of shirk. So all of this can be shirk, it can be shirk in jali, can be shirk in khafi, can love someone the way you should love Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. To make anyone your capital be beloved, that is also a type of shirk, shirk in khafi. To put anything in Allah Ta'ala's place is to have put a partner with Him, right? So it means that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is Allah. So it's not just, okay, I'm cleared from this because I don't believe in idols. No. It means you're only clear from this is if in Quran and Sunnah you have learned and understood every single feeling an abd is supposed to have exclusively for the rub, and then you have every such feeling in your heart for Allah subhanahu ta'ala, then you have cleared this. Such as walladina amanu ashaddu humbalallah that those who have iman are extremely intense in their love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala until we have that extreme intense love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala we must be engaged in some type of lesser shift there must be something else that we are having extreme and intense love for so this is the first thing so now alright this was now this, this is going to be a bit what we call iltifa now Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to change the tone or the tense or the tenor of a sainal insana so this is not Luqman uh, speaking this is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saying right uh, that we indeed we have entrusted insan biwalidehi, we have enjoined upon humanity regarding their parents. What hamalathu ummuhu that their mother bore him, his mother bore him, wahnan 
on the wahan. His mother bore him and she was weakened upon weakness in this pregnancy. She was sapped and sapped to strength, weakened upon weakened, right? And and his weaning and wet nursing it takes two years. Anishkur li that what has humanity been enjoined regarding their parents, those parents who bore them and those parents who underwent weaknesses for them and that mother who wet nursed him for two up to two years. What has humanity been enjoined? An Anishkur li that they should be grateful to Allah SWT and they should be grateful to your two parents. So this is the hukam, this is the Hosn Saluk. I told you it was coming in Surah Luqman to be grateful to one's parents. Again, grateful means to acknowledge them as your parents, to remember the care and the sacrifices they did for you, to be kind to them, to take care of them, to help them, to sit with them, to be affectionate to them, to be loving towards them, all of that. المسير, and then Allah Ta'ala says, and know that your return will be to me. Why? Because if your two parents, any one of them or both of them, force you to associate or ascribe any partner with me, ilm, and ilm here means dalil, of which you have no proof. Knowledge, you have no knowledge, but proof-based knowledge thereof. If your parents try to get you to do anything for which there is no basis in ilm of deen, that's what it means, right? Then, then you should not obey your two parents in such matters. So, same Allah Ta'ala is saying that it raises the level of parents so much that in the same sentence he says, do shukr to me, do shukr to your two parents. Same Allah Ta'ala says that if your parents try to get you to do any type of shirk, which doesn't mean just worship an idol, to put anything in the place of deen on a ba- and on the basis which is, doesn't have ilm, then you should not obey them, you should not listen to them. So this I explained to you in detail yesterday, the day before. Wasahibhuma, but even then you should remain in their company, keep company with them fit dunya in this world. Ma'rufa, and you should keep company with them cordially and courteously. You should still be nice to them. You can't listen to them if they want you to disrespect or disavow or dis- leave something in vain, but you must still associate with them, you must still be kind and nice to them. But what should you follow? So, okay, now in this situation, what does it mean that, okay, I'm not going to obey my parents if they're telling me to do something against Dean? Who should I follow? What man anaba ilayya? You should therefore follow the path of that person who is turned to me. That's what Asmata is saying. Turn to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So what does this mean? This is a sabil, this is a path, this is a tariqah, this is a way. And there will be people who turn towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then when they turn towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they left behind a path. That if a person follows that path, they can also turn towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So in terms of people on earth, when it, in terms of our deen, we follow not parents just because they're parents. We can't do that. We will indeed follow those people who have turned towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and we will follow their path. If our parents happen to be people like that, that they have turned towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then we can follow what our parents are saying. But if our parents are not people like that and they're not leading completely Allah-oriented, deen-oriented lives, then it, when it comes to matters of deen or matters pertaining to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we will not follow our parents and we will have to find some such person, man anaba alayya, who Allah says that they have turned towards me. 
Indeed, towards Allah, to Allah says to me, and towards Allah subhanahu wa is each and every one of your return. And then Allah says, and I will inform each and every one of you about every single thing that you used to do. I will inform each and every one of you about every single thing that you used to do. So here, Allah Ta'ala before was about beginning the narration of the advices that Sayyidina Luqman or Luqman was giving to his son. But in the middle, Allah Ta'ala spent a little bit of time explaining this parent-child relationship. right? And that is something that we have, uh, I think, explained between yesterday and today sufficiently enough. Now returning verses 16 onwards to the actual advices that are given by Luqman to his son. Ya Bunayya, that O oh my beloved son, innaha in... Okay. Intaku mithkal hambatim min khardalin fatakun fi sakhratin o fi samawati o fi al-ardi ya'ti bihallah. Inna Allah latifun khabir. Alright. Here uh, Luqman said to his son that if there is even the weight of a mustard seed, mean be there a deed, the weight of which is just that of a mustard seed, and even if it's just an atom's worth, atom's worth, subatomic particle worth, and whether even if it is inside a boulder, a rock, or if it is in the samawat, in the heavens or skies, or if it is filard, or if it is upon the earth, Allah SWT will bring it forth. Allah SWT will bring it forth in the day of judgment. Inna Allah latifun khabir. This is the first time I think this combination here, at least it hasn't come for some time. Latifun khabir. What does it mean? Allah Ta'ala is most subtle, means He has knowledge of all of the intricacies. There is no bariki that can escape Him. He is a latif. And he's khabirun. He's thoroughly and completely aware and informed about each and every single thing. So now, first Allah Ta'ala enjoined upon us mu'mineen the importance of parents. Then Allah Ta'ala enjoined upon, upon us mu'mineen. First Luqman told his son the importance of not doing shirk. Then Allah Ta'ala enjoined upon us the importance of parents. Then Allah Ta'ala told us the importance of not making parents shirk, shirik with Allah Subhanahu Ta'ala, but that obedience in deen lies to Allah Subhanahu Ta'ala, and that we have to follow the path of those people, those people who have turned to Allah Subhanahu Ta'ala, and the path they left behind. Now, back to Luqman, then Luqman Islam is going to mention something before he gets into particular advice, that look, first thing you should know about Allah Subhanahu Ta'ala, is that Allah Subhanahu Ta'ala will know everything. Any and everything you do, no matter how minor, there is no matter or decision or word that you could utter that is so minor that it will escape Allah's notice or is not of interest to Him. He is Latif, He is intric- intimately, intricately, finely, acutely, Khabir aware and informed of each and every single thing that you do. So, this intent is in of itself the first advice that we should be aware of Allah's awareness of us. We should become acutely aware of how acutely aware Allah Ta'ala is as of us. We should also be latif and we should have a acute awareness and consciousness of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. Then after giving him that emotion, right, and this is also showing you how to do nasiha, whether to one's son or whether to one's child, this is also a sunnah of Luqman that Allah has preserved in the Quran, how to advise people. You must first bring them to an emotion and then you bring them to an action. 
So bring them to the emotional feeling that Allah Ta'ala is intimately aware of everything that you do. And then tell them about the action. Ya Bunaya Aqimis Salah. That, oh my beloved son, you must establish the Salah. Right? And means number one, a person should establish Salah for themselves, establish Salah in their family, establish Salah in their home, establish Salah in their life, establish an attachment to Salah in their heart, establish the enjoyment of Salah in their Salah. Aqimis Salah. Number two, wa'mur bil ma'aruf. And number two, you should enjoin the good. You should enjoin and entreat people to do what is right. Ma'aruf means what is literally means what is known. It means what is known to be virtue, what is known to be correct, what is known to be fair and noble and virtuous. So this is the second advice that he gave his son. What is that? What is the link between these two things? So praying salah is for your own self. Right? And doing Amr bil Maruf is to bring khair and virtue to others and the society and the world around you. So it shows that a mu'min has to be concerned with both things, his own spiritual well-being, but also the spiritual well-being of his surroundings and his environs. And the way he's going to do that or she will do that is Amr bil Maruf. Second, Malha Anil Munkar, oh sorry, third, is that a person should... Uh, Forbid or reprimand against the munkar, against that which is unacceptable, that which has been repudiated by Allah Subhanahu wa that which Allah Subhanahu wa has rejected. We should try to take people away from that. So again, now this is am. It means both in our own self that we should stop our own nafs from doing what is munkar, but also we should stop others from doing what is munkar. Concern and protect yourself. Concern yourself for your own spiritual well-being, spiritual well-being of others. Protect yourself from spiritual detriment and harm and protect others from being harmed or harming themselves. First party harm, second party harm, third party harm. All would go. You have to be a force of staving off and removing the evil that exists in this world. And then when these three things are sometimes difficult to do regularly, it's hard to be regular and consistent in these three things. So what did Luqman then tell his son? Wasbir alama asabak that you should number one wasbir you should be patient alama asabak over whatever happens to you whatever befalls you whatever difficulty affliction trial test tribulation may befall you may happen to you you should remain steadfast so the first meaning is rub to what came but turn you must still pray salah you must still do amr bil maruf you must still do nahyan al munkar no matter how difficult the times may be. And the second meaning of sabr is patient and bearing it, that whenever difficulty comes upon you, you should bear it patiently. You should exercise patience in times of difficulty. And this is indeed from the greatest of matters, the most resolute of matters. This is the resolve that will determine, uh, of the most determined of matters. Right? So what does Luqman mean? That sabr is one of the most important things. Most important things that you can have. Next then he tells them, وَلَا That you should not turn away. Or it means that you should not turn away from, do not be contemptuous towards people. It means that you should not isolate yourself. You should not look down on others. 
You should not because you have knowledge, view people who have less knowledge to be lower than you. Or you have wealth and people you view people who have less wealth to be lower than you. You should not do that in any way. It means you should have humility. You should lower oneself. You should be willing to engage with people. And if someone is engaged in engaging you, you should not ignore them or neglect them. You should give your full attention to them. Right? That's why Sayyidina Abu Hurairah narrated Sayyidina Rasulullah said that a mu'min is one who lovingly, happily associates with his fellow mu'mineen. Alright? So this is the advice that Sayyidina Luqman is giving his son. Next, And you should not walk on this earth. You don't, don't tread the earth arrogantly. Don't swagger. Right? Don't walk on the earth arrogantly. So it means gen- generally don't be arrogant. Don't be arrogant. And also don't display arrogant behavior. This is what you say. That I'm something. I'm this. I'm like that. You shouldn't walk on the earth in any manner. You should erase your nafs. You should walk on the earth as if you were the Amd of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You're the lowly slave and servant, the creature of Allah, the slave of Allah, the servant of Allah, the worshipper of Allah, the lover of Allah, the khadim of creation. That's how you should walk, right? And if you want to see how that walk is, you can see that in traditional places where people still do khidmat, how do they walk? They don't carry themselves with any airs, where they don't walk in any swagger, right? They walk in a simple, humble way. And then, إِنَّ اللَّهَ لَا يُهِمُّكُمْ لَا مُخْتَالٍ فُخُورٍ This we did before, Allah subhanahu does not love every مُخْتَالٍ فُخُورٍ So مُخْتَال is a person who is arrogant and فُخُور is a person who is boastful. Every pompous braggart, every pompous, bragging, boastful, arrogant person. Allah subhanahu cannot love any such person. And then again, وَقْصِدْ فِي مَشْيِكَ And you should... Uh, moderate your stride. You should moderate your stride. Waqdud means sotik, and you should lower your voice. You should temper, have a temperate tone. You should lower your voice. Why? And now, now what Luqman said to his son, in the ankarat aswati lasotil hamir, that indeed the most abhorrent, most repulsive sound is the braying of a donkey. Right? And maybe sometimes people use a different word for donkey. Yes. So, bring of a donkey. Okay, that's the worst sound. What does it mean? Not the person is going to talk like that, but it means don't be loud and rambunctious. That's the way animals are. You're a mu'min. You're insan a mu'min. You have a certain decorum, a demeanor, a propriety. You have a certain izza. You have a shan. Carry yourself like an abd. Carry yourself like a mu'min. Carry yourself like the honored that Allah has honored you so much with this nur of iman and that Allah has made you from insan. So don't just be loud off at the mouth at all times. Okay? So moderate your stride also means in not the speed of where you walk and the manner in which where you walk. Alright. Then again you have some iltifat. Now Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to address Alam taro anna Allah sakhar lakum ma fi samawati wa ma fi ard that do you not see and reflect that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is that being who has made everything in the heavens and the earth subjugated to you. Everything is subservient to insan. And all of this, like we told you before, is that so we could make ourselves subservient to him. وَمَا فِي الْأَرْضِ 
everything. Uh, and then Allah Ta'ala has showered His blessings on you, His divine favors on you, both the outward blessings and the inward blessings. But nonetheless, yet there are some people, there are some people, that they argue and dispute about Allah Ta'ala concerning Allah Ta'ala without any proper proof, without any basis in knowledge. And nor do they do it on the basis of any hidayah without any guidance, nor are they doing it without an enlightening book, an illuminating book. Right? So what does this mean? It's talking about don't argue over the tawheed of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or the sifat of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Some even certain Muslim theological groups engage in deep, long argumentation and disputation about the sifat of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala without hidayah. So we should not do that. Whether they're ugly proofs, they're knuckly proofs, whatever it is, we should not argue except on the basis of sound knowledge. And when it is said to them, that you should follow what Allah has revealed, simply speaking, you should follow what Allah has revealed on the heart of the Prophet, the Quran, the Kareem, and recited on the tongue of the Prophet, the Quran, the Kareem, and revealed on the heart of the Prophet, the Sunnah. So what do they say? But no, instead, we choose to follow what we have found our forefathers to be on, what our forefathers devoted to. So you say, that Even if it was shaitan, would you fall to that extent? That even if it is shaitan, who is inviting them to the blazing punishment, to the torment of the blaze. But whomsoever surrenders and submits their entire intent and purpose to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And such a person is sincere and a doer of virtue and good. Famous sentence in Quran, that now they have grabbed steadfast, they've taken hold steadfast, they've certainly clung to a strong support a strong handhold and to Allah Ta'ala alone and to his decree alone will belong in determining of the outcome of all affairs everything will be determined by Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala so whosoever disbelieves don't let their disbelief don't let their disbelief make you grieve or sadden you in any way each and every one of them their return is to us to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to us alone and Allah says in that point we will inform them of each and everything that they did and Allah is all knowing of what lies in the breast means in their beliefs their thoughts what was in their hearts that Allah says that we have Yes, that we have let them enjoy a little in this life, we have granted them a brief enjoyment and respite, but But then we will then surely drag them and drive them into a severe punishment and agony. Alright. So when Allah subhanahu wa after concluding the mentioning of the advices of Luqman to his son, Allah Ta'ala mentioned these signs, right, of the creation, that everything is subjugated to us. And that we have Zahir and Batin Nitmas. So what the Zahir bounties are many, our five senses are Zahir bounties. 
the food, clothing, drink, shelter, all these things Allah has given us, spouses, children, families, cars, homes, all of these are outward bounties and blessings that Allah has given us. What are the batin bounties? So batin bounties can mean number one, right? Uh, the hidden assistance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. bounties can be the angels who came to help the Sahaba Quran Badr. Hidden assistance. Batin bounty can be Allah ta'ala puts a good feeling in our heart that He guides us to a feeling of taqwa, or a feeling of haya, or a feeling of sabr, feeling of shukr, a feeling of yakin. That is the batin name Allah has given us, what we normally call tawfiq, ability and success that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us. Batin bounty can also be our own ilm and hikmah our own insight and knowledge and ability to make a decision that is something in our button multiple ways that Allah Ta'ala sends his hidayah on our qalb all of that can be button bounties that Allah Ta'ala has sent on us alright and then the rest of the passage is pretty self-explanatory just this last part that don't let the disbelief of the disbelievers grieve you what does this mean? obviously first for Sayyidina Rasulullah he was very sad that people weren't accepting Imam and it also means for us today, right, that it shouldn't let affect us such that we become shaky about our deen or uncertain about our deen. It shouldn't affect us such that we become doubtful or skeptical of deen. The atheism of the atheist should have no effect on the iman of the mu'min. Put it that way. That's what Allah wants us saying in Quran. It should not have any effect on us whatsoever. And if we feel that it's having some effect on us, it means our iman is not mudboot yet, our iman is not strong yet, our iman is not kama yet, and therefore we should make every effort to work in our iman. Verses 25 onwards, and here Allah spawns us again, addressing the Prophet that what would happen if you were to ask the disbelievers, so if you were to ask them that, man Allah, who had created the heavens and the earth, so they will certainly reply, Allah, we've done this before for you, Alhamdulillah. So saying that all praise belongs to Allah subhanahu alone, but aktharum la ya'lamun. But again, most of them do not have knowledge. Right? So again, this is a rhetorical device that Allah is using that were you to ask them who had created, they would have said Allah subhanahu they would do ikrar on their own, but still they're not able to live a life of tawheed. They're not able to submit to that one Allah subhanahu In fact, instead they don't know they are negligent about the fact that Allah SWT should be worshipped and obeyed and Allah SWT, every rule should be followed as an individual in society. La ya'lamun, they don't have the realization of that. That Allah SWT and to Allah SWT belongs each and everything that is in the heavens and earth. In Allah huwa ghani al-hameed. And Allah SWT is the all-independent and the all-worthy of praise. <coughs> now comes another famous ayah of Quran al-Kareem. Surah Luqman, Surah 31, verse 27. شَجَرَةٍ And if every single thing, literally means everything on the earth from the trees, means all of the trees were made into pens. So just imagine all of the trees on earth being cut up into reed pens, wood pens, right? And then if all of the oceans... And then all of those oceans supplemented by and augmented by seven more oceans. If all of that, what would happen still? Ma nafidat kalimatullah. Even then Allah Ta'ala's words would never be exhausted. Right? What does it mean by Allah Ta'ala's words? So obviously it doesn't mean Quran al-Kareem because you could write Quran al-Kareem with even just one pen. 
And the first meaning of words means it means Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's ilm. If you were try to encapsulate all of the knowledge of Allah Ta'ala in kalam, like ilmullah into kalamullah, because the ilm is limitless, the ilm is infinite, the kalam would also be infinite. So you could exhaust seven times the oceans of ink and every single pen made from every piece of wood on earth and even then Allah Ta'ala's kalam would never be exhausted because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's ilm is never exhausted. Right? Now what does that mean? That out of all of that incredible ilm and that infinite ilm and kalam when Allah Ta'ala sends us Qur'an kalamullah how much should we value it? Right? That being who has limitless knowledge from that limitless knowledge sends you a particular set of knowledge called Qur'an how much value should that Qur'an al-Karim have in our hearts and how much we should follow it in our life. In Allah Azizun Hakim, indeed Allah Subhanahu is almighty and all wise. Ma khalqukum and your creation, wala ba'thukum and reviving and resurrecting you, all of that illa kanafsim wahida, all of that is just like a single soul. What does that mean? So the revival of all of you means all of you, man, and your entire creation and your entire direction are but of a single being. What does this mean? Now, some will misunderstand this. This is not Wahta the Wajud coming here, right? Allah Ta'ala means here, it, the act of creating all of you and resurrecting all of you is just like for Allah Ta'ala, the act of creating a single one of you and resurrecting a single one of you. It's that easy for Allah Ta'ala. That's what it means. So, one would maybe then say in English to do this fully that the, the act of your creation the act of your creation of humanity and your entire resurrection of humanity are for Allah Ta'ala but as the act of creating a single being and resurrecting a single being in Allah Basir indeed Allah Subhanahu is all hearing is all seeing He sees and hears each and every act that you do Allah Ta'ala do you not see that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala caused the night to enter the day and the day to enter the night means alternate these two things and that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has subordinated the sun and moon each one of them runs for a prescribed term i.e. has particular orbits and particular cycles and and as far as each and everything that each and every one of you do Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is ultimately entirely informed about everything fully aware of what you're doing and this is because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he, he is the ultimate reality He is the truth and all of that which you call upon and worship upon besides Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, all of that is batil, is absolutely false and falsehood. And indeed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He is Ali, all exalted, and He is Al-Kabir, the tremendously great one. Verse 31, again, slight repetition from something we did before. That do you not see? Have you, haven't you seen the ships that sail the sea, sail and travel across the sea by the ni'mah, by the grace and bounty and blessing of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Why? The yuriyakum min ayati, so that Allah ta'ala may show you some of his signs 
in the fidalakala ayatin sabbarin shukur that indeed all of this is a sign and all this there are definitely clear signs for everyone who is patient and everyone who is thankful. Again, so we mentioned doing sabr and shukr. First step doing sabr when in difficulty and do shukr when doing ease. Second step doing sabr when in ease and doing shukr when in difficulty. And ultimately being able to do sabr and shukr always in both times of ease and difficulty. Verse 32 And and when a wave overwhelms them or surging waves cover them like canopies We did this before as well that they will call and pray and supplicate as well. The Mukhlisin al in true sincere devotion to him but however when we grant them salvation and deliver them safely and securely back to the shores of land then you will find that some of them that some of them they will uh, they will take a course they will take a path uh, they will do iqtisad they will chart a path and a course for them what does that mean? That they will chart a path in a course that is, you know, some translated as moderate, uh, that they will do itidal, alright? But there is no minhum muqtasid, what it really means is that then there will be few of them, they will be min is for baal, there will be some of them that they take, they do Qasid means they take the path of Sirat al-Mustaqim. That's how we would rather translate it. Those who chose to take the path and the course and tread Sirat al-Mustaqim. And then indeed only, only a grossly, extremely treacherous and ungrateful person would ever reject the ayat verses of Allah Ta'ala's revelation. Allah Ta'ala's verses and Allah Ta'ala's sign. Only a treacherous ingrate would be able to do that. Verse 33, Ya Nas, O humanity, says I is addressed to everyone, O people, Ittakulambakum, that you should fear Allah Subhanahu Ta'ala. You should be wary and conscious of Allah Subhanahu Ta'ala. And you should fear, Waqshaw Yawma La Yadzi Walidun An Waladihi. That you should fear that day when a father will not be able to be of any benefit, will be of no avail, cannot compensate, can do nothing for his son. Nor will a son be able to compensate or be of any avail to his father. Indeed, Allah's father, inna wa'dullahi haqqun, indeed Allah Ta'ala's promise is true. So let not, fala, dunya. Do not let the life of this world beguile you in any way. And do not let it And do not let any illusion blind you to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Do not let any illusion deceive you about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So what does this mean? Now first of all, first Mufasun has said that no father will be of any benefit to a son, no son will be benefit to father. Here it's talking addressing the because anas are mentioned here. So this isn't talking about mu'minin. It's talking about, oh people, no ordinary father and son means if you remain insan without iman, and if you're unbelieving, disbelieving insan, no father and no son will be of any benefit to you. 
that is also initially, like we did earlier, that a person will be fleeing from their brother, from their mother, father, son, sahib, friend, everything. But, like we had told you elsewhere, that there is something called shifa'a, and Allah has mentioned in the Quran that whosoever he gives permission to do that shifa'a, so there may be certain fathers and sons of mu'mineen who can intercede on one another's behalf, provided that the person they on whose behalf they're interceding is also a mu'min, is also a mu'min. But more importantly here, Allah Ta'ala said that do not let the life of this world beguile you. This means originally there were, there were some people kufar at that time who didn't accept Islam. They thought, I'll accept it later. Let me maximize in my dunya. Let me stay an unbeliever because right now the Quraysh are still in power. And later on, if ever the Prophet is victorious, I will accept Islam. Or they thought that, okay, I will accept Islam later, but let me keep up my trade caravans and my routes and my business and commerce with these disbelievers and when I make a lot of money, then I can go ahead and proclaim that I've accepted Islam. So what does it mean? It means for us also. People think like that today, right? It's a little bad missing, right? Even if you can get them to believe about something in Islam, bad missing. What does it mean? I'm too busy earning my dunya. Let me earn my dunya a bit more and then I can think about this, right? After retirement or after I do this or after I do that. So the concept of postponing deen because you were beguiled and entranced in the life of this world. This is what Allah SWT is saying is you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't do that. And ultimately, you should not let the great deceiver, a great deceiver here can mean shaitan, it can mean nafs, it can mean the dunya itself. These are the big three deceptions that a person has in their life. Dunya, people of the dunya, makhluk in the dunya, mal, the wealth of the dunya, shaitan himself and a person's own nafs. Four things, right? The mal of the dunya, the jamal of the dunya, the nafs and and shaitan. Don't let any of these things deceive you, beguile you, make you forget about Allah SWT. Don't get so caught up in the world that you forget the creator of this world. Inna laha indahu That to Allah SWT and to Allah Taala alone belong the knowledge of the end of time. And this is the same Allah SWT. We know that Allah SWT sends the rains down and Allah SWT knows Allah SWT knows what is in the wombs. وَمَا تَدْرِي نَفْسٌ مَاذَا And no nafs, no soul, no person knows مَاذَا تَكْسِبُ غَدَانٌ What it will do tomorrow and what it will earn for itself tomorrow. وَمَا تَدْرِي نَفْسٌ بِأَيِّ أَرْضٍ تَمُوتٌ And no soul, no person, no self knows on what place of earth and what land they will die. إِنَّ اللَّهَ أَلِيمٌ خَبِيرٌ But indeed it is Allah SWT who is all-knowing and who is all-aware. So many times before the Sultan Quran has mentioned that only Allah Ta'ala has ilmul ghayb. Only Allah Ta'ala knows absolutely all of the knowledge about the unseen. And so first this constant question that the disbelievers would say that when will that end of time come if you say it is promised? Again Allah Ta'ala answers here as he has already answered before in Quran that only and only Allah Ta'ala knows when that time will come. And only what it means here is that only Allah ultimately knows when it will rain. And that I can tell you having spent some time in England they can tell you it's sunny, it will rain. They can say it's rainy, it will be sunny. All of their scientific AccuWeather forecast is not 100% accurate. Ultimately, only Allah SWT knows. Only Allah knows what's in the wombs, right? So some people raise this question that is it permissible in Islam to... Uh, what is it? Ultrasound, to use ultrasound to, to determine, not determine, but to discover to discover the gender of the baby. Yes, completely permissible in Islam. 
if you want to get an ultrasound test and the doctor will tell you or the ultrasound technician will tell you it looks like a boy, it looks like a girl, it's completely permissible to do that as long as you have this iman that okay, according to this picture on the screen and to the best ability of medical science, they think and their best estimation is it is a boy or a girl. But Allah alone knows best, right? And yes, it may happen to people that the ultrasound may tell you and you may actually end up on the day of delivery, uh, getting a delivery other than the one the postman predicted because Allah Ta'ala knows best what's in the womb. So as long as that's your iman, it's no problem in doing the ultrasound. But that has to be what your iman is. And that is just a very contemporary concern that people think it necessarily means gender. It means many things. Only Allah knows the genetic composition of what's in your womb. Only Allah knows what's going to happen, what is in your womb in terms of what type of person that will be, what type of future that person will have, right? So it, it's not, there's no sense of gender here. Ma fil arham, only Allah Ta'ala knows entirely about what it is that is in a woman's womb, right? And then the rest of the is explanatory, obviously Allah Ta'ala is all-knowing and all-aware. Next verse, Surah number 33, Surah Al-Sajda. This has already been covered before many times. So, Sajda is literally a surah about Sajda, about prostration. And Sajda can also be Kanaya generally for Ibadah. So, you could even translate this as the surah of worship or the surah pertaining to prostration. That this the revelation of this book in which there is no doubt, there is no doubt in it whatsoever in this book revealed from Min Rabbil Alameen, from the Rabb of the Alameen. However, is it that they say that he made it up, meaning the unbelievers accused Nabiya that he has made this up. The sophisticated cultural atheists of today also say the same thing. They just put a spin on it and they say the Prophet Muhammad was a social reformer. He was a good person and he had met some Jews and Christians and he got some good ideas from there. He threw in some good ideas from himself and really because they recast him in their secular humanistic ideal. So in actuality he was just a reformer. He wasn't a prophet and there's no such thing as a God. Now that's what they say. So it's the same thing. This ayah is addressing them as well, right? And do they say that he has fabricated it? But no, it is haq, it is truth, real, real word of Allah that came from the Rabbi Mustafa that has come from his Rabb so that he can warn a community warn a community and this is a community to whom no warner came before you so what does it mean that the Arabs, the pre-Islamic Arabia, no other prophet had been sent to them. In fact, it's unanimity with the ulama that before Nabiya, the last prophet before Sayyidina Rasulullah was Sayyidina Isa alayhi salam. Right? Was Sayyidina Isa alayhi salam. So there's been a 600 plus year gap in prophets up to this time. And all of this was done. Why? Why has it been sent to you? He hasn't been sent to you for his own kingdom or for his own self-glory. He has been sent to you so that perhaps they been sent to them, such a people, so perhaps they may follow Hidayah. They may be rightly guided. They may learn and receive from that Hidayah. Allah SWT is that being has created the heavens and the earth and all and everything that is between the two in six days. This we explained to you a few days ago. Thum Mustawa al-Arsh and then he 
settled himself to the affairs of governance of that creation. This is also something we explained to you in detail a few days ago. And other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you will not find that there is any protector or any, any protector, protecting friend, any wali, nor do you have any shafi'a, anyone who can intercede, no intercessor. So then will you not be mindful, will you not take heed from this? يُدَبِّرُ الْأَمْرَ مِنَ السَّمَاءِ الْأَرْضِ ثُمَّ Okay, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala ordains, uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decrees, order, and governs مِنَ السَّمَاءِ الْأَرْضِ from the heavens to the earth. Means Allah ta'ala ordains and decrees every affair and governs all matters from the heavens to the earth. After which every affair will then be lifted up to him where every affair will go up go back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will ascend to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on a day that the duration of that day will be like a thousand years based according to your count by your count this is also something that we had explained earlier that there was a verse in uh, this verse mentions a thousand years there was a verse in Surah Ma'arz that mentions 50,000 years right so what does it mean? So we discussed this with you that these are uh, different ways of measuring a time. One maybe one answer that we gave you was that to different people it will seem to last for different amounts of time. Some people will be so affected by the magnitude of that day it will seem as if that day lasts 50,000 years. Others to them it will seem like it lasts a thousand years. The reason we're telling you seems that because there's no concept of time on the Day of Judgment. Time is a concept that exists on Earth, where you have solar days, you have years based on the annual orbit of the Earth around the Sun. Day of Judgment is going to take place when all of the Earth and Sun and everything has been folded up and put away. All of creation has ceased to exist. Time itself is the creation of Allah subhanahu wa That will also cease to exist. So there's no such concept of that. But, but, so what does it mean that mimma tu'udun doesn't mean, although yes, adir means count, it doesn't mean literally mathematically count, it means in terms of how you feel, in your guman hisab, right? Not your mathematical hisab. So how would you feel, how long will that day, so if I say the word a thousand years to you, how do you feel when I say the word a thousand years? What feeling of length does that give you? What feeling of duration that gives you? That's how you will feel on the Day of Judgment. That's what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is He, He is that being who is the ultimate knower of all of the unseen wa shahada and all that, is, all that is unseen, all that is apparent. Al Azizul Rahim. And He is Almighty. He can send His punishment on those who disbelieve and disobey. He is Al Rahim. He is all merciful and all mercy giving. He can send His mercy and forgive those who turn to Him in repentance. And He can send His mercy and accept those who chose to. Believe and obey. Allah the Asana Kunda Shay in Khalkahu Wabada Khalkal in Sanam and Deen. And Allah SWT is a being who perfected and made noble and excellent uh, the creation of each and everything. And He began the creation of humanity in Deen. This also explained to you earlier that this means what earth means from the elements of the earth. Then, 
All of this we did for you earlier, that then he created the progeny and descendants of humanity from an extract of a lowly, ma'in mahin, from a lowly water, which is the way sperm is referred to. And this is why, uh, in, according to many scholars, uh, semen is najis, because it is a ma'in mahin, it is viewed as a lowly water. And then he fashioned him and he did that iron which we mentioned all the stages of a clot and a congeal called a lump of flesh around bones, etc. All of that is mentioned by Thumma Sawahu. And then he fashioned him and proportioned him. And that Allah Ta'ala infused his ruh and from of his divine spirit into him. Made for you hearing and sight and vision and made hearts. But it is so little the amount of gratitude. So few of you are grateful and so little gratitude is it that you show. Okay. Again, although I explained this before, I'll just mention it again. It doesn't mean that Allah has a ruh and then that ruh is broken up into pieces. And pieces of that ruh are put into every human being. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is a being who doesn't have any surah, doesn't have any jism, is not common with the jazzi. What does that mean in English? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't have a body, does not have a form, cannot be divided into parts. His zat, his being is indivisible. His sifat is indivisible. There's no question of the jazzi or putting it into parts. Blue from min ruhihi means that he is al-hayyul qayyum. He is the being who alone is alive in of himself and Al-Qayyum is self-subsistent. And then he ordered you to live by putting a root inside of you. That's not his root, it's your root. Allah created all of our arwah and then put each and every one of our root into us when we are in this gestational stage in the womb of our mother. Right? Yes, and then there are few people who are Grateful, but does it mean that even just for this physical, just the blessing of physical creation, there are very few of us who are express our gratitude towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And, and Allah ta'ala also gave us hearts, right? And uh, this is also something that we should be grateful for. The feelings and emotions that we're able to feel and express to one another. And so they also say that when we are lost and astray on earth, right? Will we really be recreated? Means we will be created again anew. So lost and forgotten on earth, what does that mean? It means that when we are under the ground, right? And we will be buried. Will we really be created again? And so they don't believe in this. So, But in fact, regarding their meeting with their Rabb, they are deniers and unbelievers. This is that concept. This is why the rule part has been stressed here in this passage. Because these are people who don't believe in a rule. They just believe in a body. And so they're looking at their body. And so when our body dies, our body is put beneath the earth, that it will, uh, you know, disintegrate and it will degenerate. And so what is there that is left of us? We can only deny the rule if you think like that. But it's the rule that remains of a person and the rule that will be the basis for their bodily resurrection again. That you should say to them, that the angel of death, who is put in charge of you, 
Allah they and then certainly towards each to to Allah Spalta will be each and every one of your return. So the ru at that point will then be blown back into the body and then the person will be given life again. That if only they could see that scene, if only they could get a glimpse into the Day of Judgment and see that scene when the Mujrimun, when the sinners are standing in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, how that they have lowered and bowed their heads, that mean they're standing in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, abject. And what will they say? Rabbana absarna wa sami'na. Now we have seen and we have heard means we are looking at this reality of the Day of Judgment around us. We are seeing you. We have seen the angels. We have heard the angels. So we realize that all of this stuff is true. So therefore now, Allah, now that we have seen that we have heard, farjitna, so return us, send us back to earth, to the life on earth. And then what will we do if we go, na'mal saliha, then we will do good deeds. Inna muqinun, indeed now we are certainly convinced that that's too late. That's too late, right? To wait all the way until the judgment to be sure about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and to be sure about your purpose on life was to do acts of virtue, acts of worship, then it will be too late for that. Walau shit now, so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said that if we willed, لَاتَيْنَا kulla nafsin hudaha that we would have granted each and every soul and self its hidayah. وَلَاكِنْ حَقَّ الْقَوْلُ minni. However, the decree and declaration that has come from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mini will be true. And what is that? Allah Ta'ala Surely and certainly I will fill up Jahannam with jinn, with jinnat and with humans, ajma'in, throwing them all in together. Right? What does this mean? Right? That these are from the men and the jinn who are unbelievers, right? And remember this earlier in Quran when Iblis said the same thing to us, well, that I will fill up Jahannam, right? Uh, when Allah Ta'ala told Iblis, when Iblis promised that he would try to lead man astray, Allah Ta'ala told Iblis that I will fill Jahannam with you, Iblis, and with all those who follow you. So what does it mean here in terms of Hidayah? Again, we've explained this to you before, but I'll mention again, everybody gets a certain amount of Hidayah. Number one, they get hidayah, which is filtered the insan, their inherent ability to recognize Allah Ta'ala. Number two, at least one point in their life, they will get hidayah in their heart, which is a feeling of attraction towards the kitab and nabi of their age. So from the time of the Prophet to the end of time, some inclination towards learning or reading Quran, some inclination towards seeking out who the Prophet is. And then that will be the decision. And some will get it more than once, at least once. Some may get it multiple times. That's also the difference perhaps between Muslim, non-Muslims who are quote-unquote good or not good in this world. That can help them in terms of getting more hidayah towards Iman from Allah subhanahu wa Then from Mu'mineen, they also get successive amounts of hidayah. That's the hidayah we always pray for until our Fatah. So when you make dua for it so many times, if you were sincere in that dua, that dua can be granted. Then a person keeps getting hidayah towards Sirat al-Mustaqim. But, what Allah SWT is saying is that there's an initial hidayah that everyone gets, and then there's a hidayah that people ask for. It's that second part 
and also saying that if we wanted to, we would have given everybody hidayah without asking. You would never have to say Idina Sirat al And if we want to do that, then we would have made everybody good. But there's already a creature in like that that's called angels. Human beings are precisely that special creation Allah Ta'ala has made who has given the ability and choice to do good or evil. Right? He's given them enough hidayah to do good, but He hasn't forced them not to do evil. And so those who choose evil, especially the ultimate evil, which is disbelief, or second ultimate evil, which is disobedience to Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala, then Allah Ta'ala says that He will place them into Jahannam, whether they were disbelievers or disobedient from the jinn, or humanity. فَذُوكُ بِمَا نَسِيتُمْ فَذُوكُ بِمَا So then Allah Ta'ala will say that you should now taste and suffer the punishment of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala for sabab due to your forgetting. Due to your forgetting the meeting of this day. You forgot that you were going to meet Allah Ta'ala on this day. إِنَّا نَسِيْنَاكُمْ وَذُوكُ أَدَابَ الْخُلْدِي بِمَا كُنْتُمْ تَعْمَلُونَ So Allah Ta'ala says, since you forgot us in this world, so today we forget you. And so for that group, the adab is adab al-khuldi, that it will be an eternal punishment for them. They will be punished in Jahannam, forgotten. Why? Not because of anything Allah Ta'ala did, but because of the own deeds and acts that they committed, because of the actions that they used to do. So you taste the eternal torment for what you have done and for what you used to do on earth. Verses 15 onward. Um, Indeed, only those, the only ones who believe in our verses of Revelation, Quran, Karim, and generally our signs, Yes, now I've made one set of the Lazim on all of you. So only those people, only the only ones who believe in the verses of Revelation and Quran are those who when they're reminded of them, they fall into sajda. And then they also do the tasbih, they glorify bihamdirabihim, they do the tasbih and hamd, they glorify and celebrate the praises of their Rabb, wahum la yastakbirun, and they do not behave arrogantly. So what does it mean? How can you get iman and hidayah from Quran? Number one, when you're reminded about it, it has such an effect on you that it makes you fall into sajda physically also. And emotionally, when you hear Qur'an, your feeling is, I want to surrender and sub- submit my life to it. That's the first thing. Second is then your tongue will be flowing with the tasbih and hamd, the glorification and praises of your Rabb. And most important, that you cannot have takambur. The couple will prevent a person from having iman. The couple will prevent a person from getting hidayah from Quran. What does the couple mean in this particular line? It means that you won't view yourself as above Quran. You won't view yourself as too big to follow Quran. You won't view yourself as too big for fe- giving in to that feeling of sajda that overwhelms you. Right? So the person should not be amongst the arrogant uh, and they should not uh, have any haughtiness. And they literally means that their sides shun their beds. This is referring to the fact that they don't sleep much. That their sides shun their beds. And they're making dua to their Rabb, supplicating their Rabb, fearing Allah 
mutama'an and in hope of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and they spend from what we have provided them. So this is another attribute of those who are people who are going to believe in Qur'an, that what's the sign that they believe in Qur'an, their enjoyment and love for that Qur'an separates them from their bed, separates from sleep, they like to recite Qur'an in their salah. At the very least, this would mean that it wakes them up for Fajr, right? Because they love Qur'an, they love to hear the Qur'an at Fajr, they love to recite Qur'an at Fajr. This is the sign that they have really believe in Qur'an. And they give, they spend in charity from what Allah Ta'ala has bestowed them. That is also a sign that they are people of Qur'an. فَلَا تَعْلَمُ And no person, no soul, no self knows. And this is interesting. No person knows مَا min min That literally means what coolness of the eye, what joy and pleasure is hidden for them as a reward for all of the good deeds that they do for what they have done. So what does it mean that the pleasure of Jannah is unimaginable? What Allah Ta'ala wants to bestow upon us is unimaginable, notwithstanding its descriptions in Quran and Hadith. It is something that is way beyond anything that a person can imagine. Alright, but still, what was it? Nonetheless, remember that Yad'una Rabbahum that they fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and they have hope in His mercy. They fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and they have hope in His mercy. Just one or two hadith about the benefits of the Hajjud Salah. First, you should know that the Hajjud is technically any prayer that you pray after Isha. Yes, it is sunnah to first sleep and then do this separation of the bed. But even if you don't sleep, it can still count as the Hajjud. Yes, the closest time to Allah Ta'ala is the last third of the night. But even if you do it another time, it still counts as dungeon. Second closest time is last half of the night. So whatever that third or fourth, sixth of the night it would be between half and one third. And then even in the first half of the night, if you pray some extra salah after, after having prayed your Isha for that night, even you can recite or pray that prayer with the knee of dungeon. And many people, that is their step in which they, if they're not able to wake up for the time of the Hajjah, then at least they pray a few nafal at night before sleeping with intention of Allah, we hope to wake up, and either way they recover. These days, especially because they're nice, because it's Ramadan, and everybody's waking up to fill their stomachs, right? So all year we weren't able to wake up to fill our ruh, but since we're catering to our stomachs, that it would be very tragic indeed that if a person is awake at that time of the Hajjah, one is okay, I was sleeping at that time, but if you're awake at the time of the Hajjah, whether it's for eating suhoor, whether it's because you got back from a journey, whether it's because you came back late night from friends, if you happen to be awake, especially in the last third of the night, at any time of the year, you should try to then pray to Allah, make even just two rakats, Okay, if you can't even make two rakats, let's say you say, no, I'm so lazy, I've come back with my friends. Yes, I don't have wudu. And I'm too lazy to even make wudu and pray two rakats, even though I'm awake in this last third of the night. And many of us know, we would never say that, but this is the reality of us, right? We are so lazy when it comes to wudu. So fine, at least make dua. If you cannot get the sawab of the salah of the hajjud, at least you could take advantage of the time of kubuli to dua, the hajjud time, at least sit down and make dua. Make the one your bed lying down before you go to sleep. 
It shows you how neglectful are so many times we've been awake at this time and we weren't even bothered to make dua to Allah Ta'ala at this time where Nabiya Kareem Sallallahu that Allah Ta'ala sends a caller to call out that is there anyone who is asking so that I may grant it to him anybody who is seeking my forgiveness so that I may send my mercy upon him so this is an da- uh, invitation to make dua to Allah, uh, from Allah Subhanahu Ta'ala so at the very least we should hearken to that and we remind everyone, as we had said to you in our pre-Ramadan talk, at the time of suhoor and iftar, these are times of kabul the dua. These are blank checks that Allah Ta'ala has given you. You should make sure you make use of it, and you should make dua to Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala, especially on that day that you intend to fast. So, and you have to learn how to make dua. And some of us are, I have not people of dua. We've forgotten how to call to our Rabb. So yes, force yourself. Make yourself learn it. If you don't know how to do it, don't let yourself off the hook so easily. But that's a problem. Why are you content with that? Right? If you are unable to walk, would you say, But that's it, I just lie in bed all day. You know, say you go to physical therapy, you go to physiotherapy, you'd seek help, right? To get your physical muscles, to get the muscles of your roots working, you should also get help. Just like you would get help to get the muscles of your jism working, just like that you sometimes need to get help to get the muscles of your ru working, and that is the help that has gotten from the ulama of the skiya, the mashaki uzzah. Verse number 18, right? We're almost done here. There's only 30 ayat here. Not much, com- not much to comment on. Verse number 18. Can that one who is a mu'min who believes, can they ever be like the fasik who is a sinner? So the word nadir is kafir. The word being contrasted to mu'min is fasik, which can include sinning believer, deviant believer, la yastawun. No, they can never ever be the same. They can never be the same. As for those who have iman and do righteous acts, they will have. Mm, gardens for them to live in and to dwell therein and they will be settled there to rest due to all of the good actions that they used to do as for those who used to be immoral sinners their abode and they will dwell in the fire of Jahannam Every single time they will try to get out of it, they will be returned to it. And it will be told to them, Taste the punishment of that fire that throughout your life you used to deny that it even existed. And we will definitely let them taste, and there are different ways to translate this. Uh, one is the more immediate punishment, so that, uh, more immediate punishment, besides the more ultimate punishment, so that they may revert to the true path. Alright. What does this mean? So the adna, adna means the one which is closer. So this means the closer one punishment means the punishment that a person gets in the world. And the one that is greater and more ultimate and more removed from them is the punishment they get in the akhirah. So one meaning of this verse means that Allah Taala sometimes shakes a person in this world, right? To, so that maybe they can realize and return to him so that they don't have to pay, face the punishment in the akhirah. Right?
ومن اظلم ممن ذكر بايات ربه ثم اعرض عنها and who can there be who is more unjust and more wrongdoer than that person to whom Allah Ta'ala's verses are mentioned and they turn away from it they are reminded of the verses of Allah Ta'ala and they spurn it inna minal mujrimina muntaqimun indeed they will be from amongst those sinners who and indeed we Allah Ta'ala says about himself indeed we will be muntaqimun we will extract and take vengeance from all such sinners so this is in contrast with verse number 15. Remember verse 15? That those who believe be ayatin, who are those innama yu'minu be ayatina? Alladina idha dhukkiru biha. That those who, when it is mentioned, they fall into sajda. Right? That's one response. And this other response are those when the verses of Allah Ta'ala are mentioned, anha, that they turn away from it, they spurn it. Right? And again, this is out of the arrogance in their view that they don't need Qur'an al-Karim. Okay, again, so we should always be very careful of any of the acts or actions or even semblance of the disbelievers coming to us in our life. We should never think like that. Uh, that we turn away. People say that sometimes in frustration or they say, Acha Qur'an me churo Qur'an parakha. They even say things like that, because they're frustrated. They don't want anything to spoil the life of their own mardi and their own nafs. So they even will say something like that about Qur'an. Whereas a moment should be said, that's in Qur'an, okay, I, I changed my whole life for it. I can sacrifice anything for it. Whatever worldly benefit I was getting by going against it, I can give it up at a moment's drop if you tell me that that is what my Allah Ta'ala wants. So this attitude of sami'na wa ta'na that we hear and we obey. Verses 23, a brief reminder of Sayyidina Musa Islam was prohibited in detail over the past several days. وَلَكَنْ أَعْتَيْنَا مُوسَ الْكِتَابَةِ فَلَا تُكُنْ فِي مِلْيَةٍ مِنْ لِقَائِهِ وَجَأُنَّهُ هُدًا لِبَنِي إِسْرَائِيلِ And indeed we gave Sayyidina Musa Islam the book, the scripture, which the name of his book was the Torah. And so never be in doubt about receiving it. So here what does it mean? Here it's Number one, addressed to the Jews of the time that they should never doubt that the same Allah Ta'ala who gave the book to Sayyidina Musa Islam is the same Allah Ta'ala who is giving the scripture to Sayyidina Rasulullah Wasallam. And Allah Ta'ala says that we made that Torah, we made that scripture a hidayah for the Bani Israel. And we made for them a'imma, we made leaders from them who used to guide according to our command, Lamma Sabaru, and they were uh, when they were patient, yukinun, and when they were such that they were had absolute conviction of our verses. So Aimma means Imam and here it means uh, worldly leaders, so it means that this is the characteristic of leaders in our deen, that they should be guided by the commandments of Allah Subhanahu and they should have sabr, they should be patient, they should be steadfast on that. And they should have absolute yaqeen in the verses of revelation and in the signs of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. huwa yafsidu baynahum yawm And indeed your Rabb will decide between them and amongst them on the day of judgment. Regarding each and every matter concerning which they used to differ and disagree. So this means Allah subhanahu will ultimately be the arbiter between everyone on the day of judgment. Some people say that these aimma that are referred to here refer to the Anbiya because as you know Allah Ta'ala sent many many thousands of Anbiya to the Bani Israel 
And this is another way that they were a blessed and favored nation, that they were always ruled by Anbiya. But still, as we did last year in Surah Baqarah, they were ungrateful to Allah subhanahu wa in many places and in many ways. Verses number 26, that are they not guided by the fact that we have destroyed so many generations and populations before them amongst and they continue to walk while they walk in their settlements and their ruins? Surely there are signs in that in the Fidak and the Ayat, indeed there are signs in the Afana Yasmaun, but will they not listen, will they not hear, will they not heed the call of Quran Karim? Twenty-seven. Have they not seen how we dispatch and send water to dry earth, thereby producing crops from therein, and of which crops of which then their livestock and animals eat, as they themselves also eat? Do they not observe? Are they not people of basira? Are they not people of vision and insight? Are they not people of perception? All of these are things that we have done earlier in the Quran. Then now verses 28 to 30, ending Surah al So they even say that when will this decision take place, this judgment take place, if you are truthful? So this is another, literally, Fat means the day of opening, the day of revealing the reality, right? And so Kul say to them, my beloved messenger, Yom al will take place, the judgment will take place on the day of judgment. الذين كفروا إيمانهم ملاهم ينظرون. So this will be that day that الذين كفروا those who disbelieve إيمانهم literally means their iman will be of no benefit to them, will be of no avail to them. ملاهم ينظرون. Nor will they be given any مخلط, will they be given any reprieve, any respite. What does it mean that their iman will be of no benefit to them. Uh, obviously, these people they have no iman, right? So they have no iman. Uh, it means that the belief in false things that they have will be of no benefit to them. So whatever they said, no, we continue to have iman in the religion of our forefathers, or we still have iman on these idols, or we still have iman on this, and we have iman on that. So the values that they held onto. And the beliefs that they stuck to will be of no benefit from them on that day because their beliefs and values were not what Allah Ta'ala had wished them to believe in. So, and they will not be granted any reprieve. They will go straight into the punishment. So therefore Allah Ta'ala says to Nabiya Kareem you should turn away from them. And you should wait. And indeed, they are also waiting. But it means that you should wait for the help of Allah subhanahu wa and His promised victory in Fatimah to come. And they are also waiting, Muntazirun. They are also waiting on this world. They are waiting for what's going to happen next. And ultimately, what it really means, Muntazirun, Allah saying it to them in a stern way that in fact they are also waiting for nothing other than Allah's punishment on the day of judgment. So here we end Surah Al-Sajda. Tomorrow we inshallah bring Surah Al-Ahzab. And as I mentioned to you yesterday, I remind you again that tomorrow and next Saturday, the next Saturdays, we will have, for those brave and steadfast, we will have a double session, which means first session will be 11.30 to 1.30 and second session will be 2 to 5.15. So that we can inshallah reach where I want us to reach by the time I want us to reach it. Tomorrow, inshallah,
11.30 a.m. to 1.30 p.m. will be the first session, and then 2 p.m. to 5.15 will be the second session. And tomorrow, like again, like we've mentioned, we will begin Surah Al-Ahzab.